Hello, my name is Philip Camella, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Collapse of Materialism, Philip Camella. Now one of the topics that comes up so much, not only on this show, but in our daily culture, is this concept of enlightenment. And it seems as if most people are searching for some enlightenment, some way to reach a higher level of being. Some people do it through the study of the stars, through astronomy, science. Some people do it by meditation. Our guest today found her way to enlightenment in a rock and roll bar, which makes her unique, but also I think what makes this uh, a very, very interesting and popular topic is that most of us have been there. Most of us have have come close to these experiences, and sometimes it happens in rock and roll bars. Now, this is how my guest Patricia Walker described it. She said, something lifts me right up and out of her intense emotions, as if an aperture in the sky is opening, and two giant hands are emerging from it and picking me up. I pass through the roof of the building as if it's not even there and saw that the ordinary scene of the concert below that I'm part of is now bathed in an all-encompassing light. Words of an out-of-body experience. The feeling of oneness becomes no longer an abstract mystical experience, no longer a sense felt by just the Buddha or the great yoga masters, but something real. So this is what we're going to be talking about today, how Pat Walker found enlightenment in a rock and roll bar, but how her experiences translate to so many of us who are seeking the same thing. Patricia, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Philip. Okay, well, as I was mentioning before the show, uh, Pat has a new book out in Rainbow Ridge. It's The book is called Dance of the Electric Hummingbird, An Ordinary Woman's Accidental Journey to Enlightenment, The Supernatural, and Rock Star Sammy Hager, which makes this a one-of-a-kind book because I don't think there's any book out there that connects enlightenment with Sammy Hager. But we are going to we're going to unwrap this topic a little bit. But let's let's start sort of at a place, uh, Pat, before your experience in the rock and roll bar. You were ungo- you were undergoing a lot of personal issues. You were uh, maybe uh, transitioning to to a, a new life. Uh, you always wanted to write a book. What what do you think was the trigger for this happening in this rock and roll bar? Well, I think the trigger was, part of it was that um, rock and roll uh, is a language that my spirit understands, um, you know, and all, everyone has their own way and different way of connecting with something like this because we're all individuals. So I think that was part of it. I think um, my spirit was ready to my soul. My spirit was ready for this kind of thing to happen. I was very relaxed and and doing the things that I loved, um, obviously being at a concert. And I did have two margaritas within a about four hours period of time, which I also think relaxed me. But I think, and then I was told later by a famous psychic, Sonia Choquette, that Sammy and I had shared many past lives together as well. And um, when this happened to me, I didn't even know who he was. I wasn't a fan of his or anything. Uh, My husband was, but I'd never even heard of him. Um, that's a whole nother conversation, but I think that um, there were so many things 
um, that came together here all my life. I'd always been searching for deeper meaning to life, and I've always believed that there's more to life than meets the eye. And I was raised Catholic, and that wasn't answering my questions that I had for me. And I always like to make sure I tell people I'm not knocking religion or anyone's religion. There's a great place for it as well, and if it works for you, that's wonderful. It just wasn't answering the questions that I had, so I kept kind of tiptoeing over the bounds, I think, of uh, my religious upbringing and and looking into things like Zen, Buddhism, and um, martial arts is kind of what led me there, but and Native American philosophy as well. So, yeah, so I think all of these um, experiences and all these searching means uh, were, were brought me to where I was as well at the time. Well, I think that one thing that uh, is 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 noteworthy here uh, that I want to highlight that makes your experience really, I think, a model for what's going on in our culture is the distinction between the inner uh, route to enlightenment and the outer route. And by inner route, I mean something that wells up inside of you, something that shoots up from your soul that makes you realize that you're part of something greater. And the outer or the external, I mean the process of praying to something outside of you. And this is something that comes across in your book where mm -hmm. all of, uh, many of us who were raised Catholic, we have this, uh, this picture, at least I do in my mind, about kneeling down and praying to a statue. Mm -hmm. as if the statute's going to make you do something. And it seems as if this was something that struck you as as being not your route, uh, that, that, that right. for you it was the inner route. And so, right. so why don't you talk about that a little bit, about how this really maybe changed your perspective on finding, if I may use the word, God. Well, when I had the out-of-body experience, I realized in no uncertain terms that God and I were one and the same. There was no separation. Um, I perceived God when I left my body as uh, neither male nor female, but both genders, uh, not, no certain religion, all religions or lack of religions, um, no, no separate race or creed or anything, but all of these things combined and part of myself at the same time. It, it's almost, I've heard the expression before where people say that, um, kind of like, um, if you take spokes on a wheel and then the hub of the wheel is God and, um, that's kind of how it, kind of felt like God and I were one in the same and all of these other dimensions and peoples and people on, on this earth and plants and animals and everything on this earth, everything was connected to itself and the whole earth was all, everything was connected and all of that was connected to me and God and I saw dimensions and landscapes and beings that... I can't really even describe to you <laughs> yeah. in English because there, there, there really is no description for it. But, but all of these were connected to the earth. And it was almost like if you take a camera lens and you look through it and you see the aperture opening wider and wider and then you, you begin to see more and more. And the wider it expanded, the more I saw how all of these things were connected to me and to God. And I knew at that moment that the only thing that matters is love. And there's nothing that comes even, there's no, not even anything second. Love is the only thing that matters. So what was, what was so wonderful about it was, like you just mentioned, all of my life, I think I believed that God was separate from me and not really part of me. Um, and that I had to spend my whole life trying to achieve um, being blessed enough by God to be accepted by God so that I would, he would maybe take me to heaven when I died if yeah. I was lucky. <laughs> and, and when I had this experience, I, I knew in that moment that there was no separation, that um, God and I are the same, one and the same, and, 
And the same goes for you and everyone else and plants and animals and everything like I just described. God is in all of those things. And that was such a wonderful feeling to, I, I mean, wonderful doesn't even describe it. It was, it was incredible to, to realize. And, and I've had people say, well, do you believe in God? And I, and I kind of surprise people with my answer to that now because, of course, I've always believed in God, but now I don't believe that God exists anymore. I now know that God exists. Yeah, that's yeah, that is that's well put. And one of the things that I do on this show is we contrast experiences like you had uh, and maybe are still having with the with the matter first materialism uh that we have governing our current scientific worldview and of course this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart and and um, at, on this particular show we're not going to get deeply into it but it always strikes me that when somebody has an experience like this which I might add has certain similarities to the very experience uh, described by so many others such as right. Eben, such as Eben Alexander in Proof of Heaven and I believe P.M. Atwater who I had on my show a couple months ago, has done a study of people who have out-of-body experiences. And there, there's always these, there's these similarities, which to me means that, that, that it is, that, that it's um, a truthful experience since there's so many um, overlaps there in the, in the storylines. But what, what, if anything, uh, did this experience that you had in, in um, Cabo, uh, tell you about what reality is well it really made me question my definition of reality and what's important in life and that's kind of what the book is about um, how I, I tried to understand what happened to me because I didn't know anybody that had personally that had ever had an experience like this and um, I started doing a lot of research and I have actually met Eben Alexander myself and thanked him for his book because he helped validate my experiences. But, um, yeah, it really, it really made me question what's important in life and what, what is reality? What's my definition of reality? And that's really what the whole book is about is how I integrated that into my life. And I realized that what's important in life are the things that bring us joy and the things that bring us joy are the things that we need to do more often and it doesn't have to be something expensive for me it's just being with my family and playing with my grandkids and um, getting out in nature and things like that and also I believe that we're meant to share the gifts that we've been given with other people and um, which is what I tried to do with the telling of uh, my story and my book as well. Yeah, and for for the, for the listener, this book, The Dance of the Electric Hummingbird, is extremely well written, and by that I mean it's a page turner. And in this field, there's there's not that many page turners in the sense that um, it becomes engrossing. And so Pat here does a great job in sort of leading leading the reader through her sort of growth within this within this um, enlightening experience and how it led to synchronicities which we're going to get into in a second here but on, on the academic front one point I want to make here uh, that that is really comes out of Ken Wilbur is Ken Wilbur has this uh, discussion in, in, in his work about stages and states of consciousness and one thing he says about this, and this is, I'm, I'm paraphrasing and summarizing and hopefully not butchering the point, but by states of consciousness, people could reach high levels of consciousness many times by exercising, by meditation, uh, by sex, for example, and by drugs. But it's a temporary, it's a temporary state. But in many, in many cases, those temporary states give the experiencer a glimpse of what that higher stage is. And so the reason I'm saying this, uh, Pat, is that this is the way I look, this is the way I read your book, which is that you had this experience. Perhaps it was triggered 
by tequila. Perhaps it was triggered by Sammy Hager, who is quite the wild rocker. <laughs> and and is and is and is frankly for those who don't know him he he is probably the quint the quintessential rock musician uh he and so if you're if if that catches your flow he, he i could see somebody having a how can i put this an out of body experience if not an out of mind experience but but anyways um it's this is the way i read the book which is that you had Everything came together, and you reached this higher level, and since then you have sort of stayed there at a higher level. Is that how, how right. that Well, I am, am, I, I've since gone to the Monroe Institute in Virginia uh, several times and taken a couple of their week-long workshops there as well. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with them, yes. but um, it just kind of seemed like the next step for me to – try and see what was I supposed to do with this experience besides write a book. It seemed like there's more that I, I needed to do with it to explore and understand it. And um, as you were talking about different states of consciousness, um, I found out that uh, Robert Monroe, who founded the Monroe Institute, who has is now deceased, but... Um, there are a lot of different levels of consciousness that he describes, and one of them is focus level 21, he calls, and that is a bridge to other energy systems. And when I experienced that level of consciousness at the Monroe Institute, I realized that that was pretty much the place that I think I went when I had my out-of-body experience. Uh, during the concert, so it was really very confirming to me to to realize that wow, there's a name for this, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and other people have been there as well. So yeah. it's not just me, but yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's been really fascinating, and so now I'm a I'm a local chapter network leader for the Monroe Institute here in Northern Colorado, and um, I'm I give people tools to help them better or you know further their search as well and maybe find some answers for themselves as well because it's all an individual thing anyway we all we're all on different paths sometimes we're walking the same paths together but um we all have different spiritual growth uh things we need to achieve and um that's great you know that's wonderful well that's sort of the, the you know one of the messages is that what there's a what there's a billion ways to find god or to get there and what what one person's path uh is may not be another person's path this is philip camella this is conversations beyond science and religion i'm speaking with pat walker the author of the new book dance of the electric hummingbird an ordinary woman's accidental journey to Enlightenment, the Supernatural, and rock star Sammy Hager. And we're talking about uh, paths to enlightenment, and Pat had her own path in a rock and roll bar. Now, you mentioned the Monroe Institute, and for those who don't know what that is, Pat, what is the, the Monroe Institute? Well, the Monroe Institute is, um, they're based in Faber, Virginia, and um, they are dedicated to providing a positive environment for the transformation of human consciousness. That's their, their um, philosophy um, and an opportunity to learn more about your total self. So it's, it's a wonderful place. They're, they're not affiliated with any religion um, or philosophy. Uh, just ask people to consider that we are more than our physical bodies. And it was founded by Robert Monroe, who um, started having out-of-body experiences himself in um, 1958, I believe, and just spontaneously. And he really didn't know what was going on at the time, but he finally uh, began. He, he was having them all the time, and he had a lot of psychological tests, medical tests, and whatnot to make sure that there wasn't and he didn't have anything, um, any abnormal brain tumors or anything um, going on. Um, so he developed a system, as you will, of, of 
achieving out-of-body states, and he's written several books about it as well. So the Monroe Institute offers a lot of different programs for whatever you want to achieve, um, psychokinesis, um, lot, oh boy, just about anything. Met, um, boy, they have tons of, tons of different programs. They're wonderful programs, and um, I, I came across them, as we were talking about before, <clears throat> excuse me, through Frank DeMarco's book, Muddy Tracks, where he mentioned something a bit like this in that in his book, and um, that was kind of my first taste of it. And then as I started exploring ways to try to understand what could have happened to me, I found about the Monroe Institute and my publisher's girlfriend actually, and my publisher himself recommended that maybe I should give it a try. And uh, it was fascinating. It's it, the work they do there is wow. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if you haven't been there. I highly recommend. Well, it. it raises. I mean, it 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 raises this this question about. Uh, whether our modern scientific paradigm is really ignoring such a, a, a big part of human experience. I mean, we have places like the Monroe Institute, and there's all sorts of other things, all sorts of other places um, that sort of go down the same path. But but in our modern culture, they're viewed as as outliers, although. Perhaps it's becoming ma more into the mainstream. On that note, though, what what has been the reaction of your uh, friends and acquaintances to your experiences? Do they think that you're nuts, or or or, 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 or do they think that this is something that you know they wish they had or they had something? What what has been the reaction from your your colleagues? Well, in the beginning, my husband um, was not too open-minded about it let me put it that way but he's seen the transformation in me and um he's not a spiritual person at all but he has seen the difference that it's it's made in my life and um now he's starting to be a little more open-minded about it as far as my friends and colleagues and the rest of my family uh everyone uh, has just been really supportive and wonderful and um including Sammy Hagar himself. He has been super supportive of me and um, my journey and, and been beside me every step of the way, encouraging me. Uh, he even wrote a song about my experience and his involvement in it as well. The song is called Open, and you can see it on YouTube, but I don't think you can download it from iTunes anymore. But yeah, everybody has just been so amazing and I have met the most wonderful people because of this whole experience that it's really helped open my mind and, and broaden my horizons in ways I never dreamed of. Well, one thing that comes across in your book is, and a lot of us go through this, I mean, you had a lot of doubts. I mean, you had you had the Catholic upbringing, you had the doubt whether you would ever write a book and get it published. And then you had this this division, um, separation you had between you and Sammy Hager, this rock star celebrity person. And it seems as if, that's what comes across, it seems as if uh, this experience you had uh, sort of drove you to, to really uh, strive for your dreams. I mean, that, that's what comes across there. And, right. right. And, and that's another reason I wanted to tell the story, because... I've even had people ask me many times, are you sure this is really all true? Yeah. <laughs> and and it is. It's Every single bit of it is true. I had even more experiences than I had place, places to put it in the book. So I had to leave a lot of them out. There were just so many things that happened. But... Um, yeah, it's it's just been a wonderful wonderful experience every step of the way. Well, one of the things that also happens here is uh with people who have these experiences is this notion of synchronicities which I love. Uh yeah. and you know, I don't know who made synchronicities famous. I guess Carl Jung. I think he wrote a, a little paper called Synchronicities. Uh -huh. And then of course there was the Celestine prophecy uh where uh, 
the author there, James Redfield, he talked about once you're in the tune, in the flow of life, synchronicities will will happen more. What what has been your experience with synchronicities following uh, the the Kabul Bar Enlightenment? Oh man, that that would take me hours to answer that that question. But <laughs> to to make a long answer shorter, I have had so many synchronicities. Things just fell into place for me, one after the other, um, which which uh, putting me in touch with Sammy for one, which is maybe sounds like kind of a small thing, but it was a very big thing to have someone of his stature. Um, endorsing me and, and encouraging me. Um, also, finding my publisher, uh, Bob Friedman of Rainbow Ridge Books. And um, from all of that, also, I am now, uh, I teach classes for infinite possibilities, which was started by Mike Dooley. And all of these things just fall right into place because I would be talking to people. I'd be doing book signings or um, interviews and talking to people and telling them, this is my experience and this is what happened to me. And I would always feel like, gosh, you know, I I'm, I'm, I don't want to just stand up in front of people and yak at them because they're probably sitting there thinking, yeah, well, that's great for her or whatever, but what about me? How, how does this affect my life? And part of it, like I said, was I, I really wanted to encourage people to never give up on their dreams because, as you just said, it was always my dream to be a writer. And I saw from this experience that nothing is impossible. And if something like this could happen to a person like me who wasn't even out there looking for it, um, it can happen to anybody. So I not only wanted to serve as a, um, a role model to other people, but I wanted to give them tools to be able to start finding answers for themselves. And yeah, I would always tell them, you know, meditation is great, getting out in nature is great. Um, all of these things, um, find your hobbies and, and do them as often as possible. Look for joy in life at every chance you get and, and all of those things. And they're really great. They're, they're great, but they're not really concrete tools. So now I have the tools um, as I mentioned, I'm the an, a local chapter network leader for the Monroe Institute, and I teach classes on self-empowerment as well and teach people tools to be able to apply to into their lives right now to be able to start seeing those changes that they want. And that was um, what came through from Mike Dooley and Infinite Possibilities. I became certified to teach that, and that was all synchronicity as well. Um, like I said, came from my my publisher's girlfriend who introduced me to that. So, 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 do you think synchronicities uh, are there all the time? We just don't notice them, or B, that once you get more into the tune, the flow of life, uh, that the synchronicities are created. I think they're there all of the time. Okay. Um, we just need to start tuning in and once we start looking and I think for me meditation really helps with that a lot it helps me to be more open and aware of things happening around me that I might not have seen before so yeah I think they're there all the time the same as psychic abilities which is um, one thing that happened to me right in the very beginning with all this I started having psychic experiences that I never knew I had before, and um, after all of these years of writing about it and, and contemplating it, um, I have come to the conclusion that I believe that we all have psychic abilities, just like the synchronicities. Some of us are just more in tune to them than others, but you can develop those more, um, just like learning to play the piano. If you, if you work at it, you can develop that more and you know, not everybody's going to be a virtuoso, <laughs> yeah. but, um, we all have that ability and yeah. Yeah, well, we I mean, all yeah. have more abilities than we realize. Our minds are just incredible tools. We have not even any clue how, how powerful we really are. Well, one of the things that I, I'm a subscriber to is that, 
the daily stresses of life, um, such as uh, earning a living, doing the laundry, cleaning the floor, taking the garbage out, all these things sort of distract us. They sort of, it's 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 like um, being in a in a uh, rough, rough seas and trying to be calm. I mean, it's it's a it's a challenge, and it becomes it becomes more of a endeavor to sort of reach that state of mind where where you do have the calmness I think that is required to latch on to this higher stage of understanding. I mean that's sort of that's sort of where what I think about it. Mm-hmm. Um the in terms of your classes it it's it strikes me uh that a, a question people might have is what are the one or two things that you tell people in your in your whether it's infinite possibilities or some of the other training you do what are the one or two things that you think really resonates with people to help them go down this path well i think one of the big things is that we all have limiting beliefs about ourselves about our situation about life and those have come to us from society or our ancestors the media um clichés uh, our acceptance of other people's ideas of what the truth is and sometimes we don't even realize that those are taking control of us but the other big part is that we have a choice in each and every moment we have a choice and when we realize that we have that choice and we can choose to use those mundane activities like you said um you know sweeping the floor or going about our our daily activities that are so mundane we can choose to use that maybe as a meditative experience to start visualizing what we would what we want from our lives and and actually seeing ourselves achieving those goals or we can use them to just say you know well you know my life sucks or whatever but but those limiting beliefs are really holding us back and when we can start to look at our lives in an honest way and say okay well um, kind of like I did with Catholicism wasn't working for me and I didn't realize how much that that was in influencing my life and making me feel like I would never be good enough or or whatever. Um, but it's also not always necessary to find exactly what that limiting belief is, but just to realize that there's there may be a limiting belief that we have there that's holding us back. So so those are are some of the things is really you know realizing that you have a choice. And so I give tools to help people realize that, how our emotions and our beliefs um, influence everything we do. And if we can just stand back from our situation long enough and, and get a different perspective, we can see that, wow, you know what? It doesn't have to be that way. Though There are infinite possibilities out there. There's Nothing's impossible. Yeah, that's. I think that's well put. This is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm speaking with Pat Walker, the author of the new book, Dance of the Electric Hummingbird, An Ordinary Woman's Accidental Journey to Enlightenment, the Supernatural, and rock star Sammy Hager. And we just talked about this, you just mentioned this limiting belief topic, which I think is is a big issue and that is really to me uh, sort of the number one barrier that we need to break down uh, before we go as high as we can in this in this uh, mountain of awareness or this uh, or realizing our potential and this is not an original thought but what what is coming across to me Pat more and more is that it's the you know the media, our family, friends, job, culture, religion, science. We're, we're sort of uh, we're sort of impregnated with all of these belief systems, and fighting through those is is so essential. And I and it really it really is the challenge of our time. 
Um, one of the things that one of the chapters in your book is called something like um, you can't get there just through knowledge and logic. Yeah, right. maybe we can't get there through the doors of knowledge and logic, and and that's sort of something that I I have struggled with, which is that just being right doesn't do it all right. the time. <laughs> just just because you're right doesn't mean you're going to convince anybody. Right. Because if it disagrees with what they believe in, exactly, then you're not going to convince them. And so, what are what are some of the ways that people could could shed these limiting beliefs? Which of course is an unfair question, but <laughs> what, what 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 would work? Is it? I mean, frankly, if it's tequila in Cabo, I think people will probably say that sounds good to me. Um, <laughs> but 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 um, you know, let's face it. This is this is one of the hardest things to get over is these limiting these these limiting beliefs because we've accepted them as true. They're part of right. us. Right. And the hardest part, I think, is, well, number one thing I want to say is that not all all our beliefs are not limiting beliefs. Right. We're just Good. what we're talking here about are the negative ones that impact us negatively. Um, so um, what are some of the ways I think I think that where you start is you have to start looking at your life and you have to start seeing when you're in a situation Okay, you you have a maybe a a negative outcome to a situation, and if you can look stop and look back on it in retrospect, and you can say, okay, so what what emotion did this provoke in me, and what limiting beliefs may have precipitated that emotion, that negative emotion that brought on this negative outcome to to this situation. And um, that's not always easy to do, but if we look at it in retrospect like that and we keep practicing long enough, then eventually when we are in the situation and we realize, oh, this doesn't feel good, I don't like, I don't like how things are going with this, what can I do to change this? Okay, well, I can, I can start, first of all, maybe by saying, all right, I have a choice. I, this situation, I don't have to feel negative about this situation, or I don't have to react in a negative way. Um, and and sometimes that may sound a bit um, simplistic, but um, it really it really changes you. Um, it yeah, you might it might sound like kind of like you're giving into the situation and you're allowing the other person to rule or to win but really in the long run who really wins is both of us because then we have changed the situation into something that we are feeling good about and we can only change ourselves we can't we can't affect what other people do at all but if we can look at it in retrospect like that and realize okay so here's the thought i had when when you know this jerk pulled out in front of me in traffic you know and it and it pissed me off and you know what what can i do um you know and and then i flipped him off or something and then my whole day went terrible right. from there so if you can kind of look back on the situation and say okay well um i really didn't have to get so upset with this person maybe maybe this person just spilled their coffee in their lap or maybe they're distracted or you know, maybe they're taking their kid to the hospital or, or something, or they got some really terrible news and they weren't paying attention. So I can change my thoughts about it and my emotions then may become, all right, well, maybe more of one ex of acceptance. And then is there a limiting belief behind that that says, um, wow, all people are just jerks, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, so, so how can I change that belief to, uh, everybody's just doing the best they can. Yeah. Know? Well, I think another a, a tactic I think works that I would use. It's it's a it's a sort of a uh, species of fake it till you make it, um, which right. which 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 is in those kinds of situations, um, whether it's a stressful situation, a situation that would typically evoke anger, frustration, or or if it's um, you know, being confronted with a synchronicity. Uh, try, try to uh, pretend as if you are, you know, the wisest, calmest person in the world, or the coolest, calmest, collected person in the world. I mean, this is where role models are helpful. 
right. try to imagine that you are the person that you admire. How would that person react? And it's and this is where you know so many times it's that it's that poor poor pitiful me attitude. I think that's Linda Ronstadt, by the way. Uh, <laughs> while we're while we're on the rock theme in the show, yeah. Um, poor poor pitiful me versus. Well, I'm a better person. I can be a better person. And if you continue reaching higher, uh, lo and behold, you become that person. That's that's what's so cool about this. Now, and I'm going to connect this to something that you write in your book. I was going to ask you about. You you say, uh, so if we could change our dreams during sleep, why wouldn't it work while we're awake too? And I and I don't know if that was a uh, a quote from you or one of your um, or something that you got went on top of the mountain uh, when you were when you had the vision, but but that to me says a lot. Why, if you could change your dreams during sleep, why can't you do it while you're awake? You can. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And that's that's the point. And that and that is really where where this is heading. And you know. I like to sort of reach some big point, if I can, on these shows to sort of really demonstrate that these individual stories, whether they're written in an article, a book, a speech, or some sort of, or some other means of, of of communication, point to this lesson that we are in a what I'm going to call a malleable world a a world that that we can form and create as we go along it's not something that imposes itself upon us and and that to me pat is the number one limiting belief that the world imposes some of these constraints upon us right. and it's our task to break through them right so we we are the creator and the created at the same time yeah and and that and that when you think about it is one heck of a of a of a beautiful thought. Now, speaking of that, um, you say a lot of, of of sort of inspirational things about music in the book, and I think this probably would resonate with a lot of people. It resonates with me. I think that music is special. And you say, uh, I think you quote somebody who uh, in one of your chapters, music raises the soul of man higher than external forms of religion. What what is it do you think about music that has this this inspirational impact? Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> I I think that with music it's um a universal language that um speaks to each of us the way we need to hear it. Of course, we bring our own experiences, life experiences towards any sort of art. But music, it, it's kind of the same reason if you watch a concert on a, on a video, it might be good or great, but it's not the same as actually being there in person. There's, there's just something magical about the interaction between the performers and the audience that just flows back and forth that you don't get if you're listening to a CD or if you're watching a video because you're not there feeling that energy flowing back and forth. So I think that um, that's a big part of it. A lot of the Sufi talk about that, and I believe that was Sufi Hazrat Inayat Khan who said that quote that you just read. Um, because they they really delve into the exploration of the sound of music and soul and how that's all integrated. Um, I was introduced to Sufism by a friend of mine who practices Sufism, and he was explaining to me about the difference between vibrations and how everything that's in the physical world that we see started out first as a vibration. And he said, you know, the, the frequency uh, differ, differs between how fast it's, the frequency is, fast or slow. Um, the density of the object has a different frequency as well. So, yeah, it's, it's, all, yeah, it's all just intertwined there. Well, there's so many people, let's face it, uh, there's so many people from 
different generations and I'm going to blur the generations so I don't disclose which one I'm part of but, but <laughs> the which but the uh you know people have found themselves through music through live concerts at least they think they have um throughout the the decades I mean that's sort of what was one to me of the lessons of the 60s and the 70s uh, the music coming out of that era was really spoke to a lot of people, and it's amazing, you know. People have their fa- you know their favorite artists because the lyrics said something to them at that time, like a synchronicity. I mean, we all we've all been through that, and you know the fact that you're also a poet, and there is one poem in your book that's very 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 good. You're you're clearly highly skilled in in poetry. I, it's it's the same. It's sort of the same thing, which is that in poetry, it's a different way to express an emotion, uh, and in many ways, it's more accurate. But then you add the sound, the music, and it really, be, it, it really could become powerful. Um, and so, I think that that's something that, again, this is real, and that's what makes this uh, a lot of fun. Pat is that you didn't go to India and sit under a banyan tree, <laughs> right? Uh, which is nothing against banyan trees, by the way. Um, or India, <laughs> uh, but or India, true. Uh, but it ha- it it's like real life, and you put it down in words uh, that this that this is really happening to you. Now, along these lines here, I've already mentioned uh, synchronicity, and of course, the title of your book is "Dance of the Electric Hummingbird," which is a pretty cool title. And there's a little story, though, behind the hummingbird and the title. And so where where did this title come from? Well, a hummingbird is a symbol of the accomplishment of things that are said to be impossible. And also um, a symbol of finding miracles in in our everyday lives, Um, unlimited joy, as well as it's a form of dreadnought guitar. And um, one time I asked Sammy if uh, he could describe himself as an animate object. What would he, how would he describe himself? And he said, a hummingbird. And I was really surprised because uh, being a, a big rock star, I thought he would say something like an eagle because he's written songs about eagles before. But he said, a hummingbird. So, um, I wanted to incorporate that into the title as well. And the dance part is, you know, we do this dance between uh, the world of spirit and, it put this in quotes, reality um, between other people and ourselves and life and dreams. And really it is all a dance uh, between ourselves and all of these things. So that was another part of it. And um, the electric part was, it, it was a live rock concert. It was electric. It was, it was fascinating. It was just so full of energy and, and great things. So, yeah, there was a lot of, of meaning behind that. And Sammy's son, Aaron Hagar, uh, did the cover artwork, the cover painting for the book as well. Sammy asked him to do it and he did so that was a huge honor for me as well so shout out to Aaron Hagar he's a wonderful artist and um yeah I, I couldn't be more pleased or honored <laughs> yeah. well that yeah that's um I thought the story behind it and there was you know the sort of a, a synchronicity involved and just just the way it all came together uh also as I was reading your book uh, a quote came to mind I'm wondering if it, if, if it has had any influence on you, and this is not from your book, but the the famous quote about um, the darkest hour is just before the dawn, mm-hmm. and I'm just wondering what what you think of that, or whether you think there's any truth to that. The darkest hour is just before the dawn. Well, I think maybe it might depend on your situation. Yeah. Um, my book goes into a lot of personal details about my life as far as... Um, losing my parents, uh, both of my parents passed away, and that part of that is in the book as well. And that was probably one of the darkest moments I've ever had in my life, even even more so than 
what I talk about in the beginning of the book about my uh, being abused by my first husband. So um, I think all of these things taught me that I'm a lot stronger than I ever gave myself credit for. And after my parents passed away, being able to get back on the horse, so to speak, of my spiritual journey and the music actually helped to bring me back, I think, as well to that. Um, you know, it was it's definitely a, a part of learning and a part of our journeys and can make us stronger as it did for me. So and, and more compassionate with other people as well. Yeah, well, I just thought that there is something to this this darkest hour thing. I always I always hope that it's true because <laughs> because you know when people sometimes are in depression or not necessarily clinical depression but sadded, there 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 is always this hope that's glimmering that something good's going to happen. I mean, it's really. It, it really, I think, is a is a is a function of hope. It came it came to me um, as I was as I was reading your book, and I thought that you know this is a good example where this this poor you know this this poor person's gone through some pretty trying personal experiences, and lo and behold, you know it's uh, finding enlightenment in all the strangest places. It really it really was um, something that hit me. Now. Right. The one of the stories you tell is about the about finding God at twelve thousand one hundred eighty three feet, mm -hmm. and I thought that was pretty pretty interesting. Now you so you you went up this mountain, you did some uh, just just to get away from it all, and you had uh, sort of a a uh, personal experience or mediumship or conversation with with some being spirit that you described as being god right right so so where did the voice come from um you know it felt at the time like like it was coming from outside of myself it yeah. felt like it was coming from um the clouds from the mountain um from the the bighorn sheep and the the path that I was walking on and so I have to say that therefore as I as I saw from my out-of-body experience how all of these things are connected to me and to God um, I'm not sure that's a real great way to articulate my answer to that but it it was it's all in the one in the same. So God, it came from me, and it came from the mountain, and it came from God, and it came from the the big horn sheep, and and everything as well. The the plants along the path, and the little stones, and everything. Well, isn't it isn't it amazing the way so much of what is being written has been written in this genre, which I'll call the new spirituality for the sake of for the for the lack of a official title. Um, starting even with um, the Conversations with God books by Neil mm -hmm. Donald Walsh, where so many people are sort of reliving in these little tiny ways the great biblical stories, the great spiritual stories. We're sort of what? we're sort of seeing that all of us have potential access to the spiritual realm. You bet, and that's a wonderful statement that you just made there. It, it's, I believe that with all my heart, that we all have access to it, um, and the place that we need to start looking is inside of ourselves instead of outside of ourselves for someone else to give us answers because um, maybe those answers don't apply to us. They don't feel right to us. They don't work for us. Um, like I mentioned with the Catholic faith, it just wasn't working for me, so... Um, I don't see anything wrong with picking and choosing little bits of this, that, and whatever that works for you. Um, it's a real individual thing. Well, yeah, I, I had a I had a guest on a couple months ago who put it. I think she put it this way, and um, I think it was Pam Grout. Uh, but it's also in her book that, to me, illustrates part of the problem here, which is that uh, people don't worship Benjamin Franklin for discovering electricity. 
we, 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 we use electricity. We use it in our lives. And too much of the Western Orthodox mainstream religious teachings, and this is, and, and parenthetically, this is where I get a little radical, is, is about praying to something outside of us right. instead of putting those tools in, our, in use in our daily lives. And, exactly. and that's sort of a message that comes across <laughs> in your book. And it's something that I think that it's happening naturally, Pat. I don't know if it's, if it's necessary to tell people, well, that's the way it's supposed to be. I mean, just like I mean, you say it a lot in your book where um, I think you use the example of somebody who takes a test and memorizes the correct answers. Uh, they have no idea what they're saying since they have not experienced it personally. They can't know it. Right. That's something that you you say in your book, which is basically the point that maybe maybe this is the way to build a better world. We have to spread out these experiences. More people need to go to Cabo, and, <laughs> which is which is really. I mean, I think there's something to be said for. I mean, there's something to be said for people loosening up a little bit. Yes. Getting out of definitely. their structures. Yeah. That was that was definitely the case for me. Um, being the oldest in a Catholic family and always trying to be perfect and and um, do the right thing my whole life and never step out of line, you know, uh, puts a lot of pressure on you. And and if you're always trying to please everybody else, then how can you know what what who you really are? So. If you're in this situation where you can relax, excuse me, <clears throat> and just enjoy uh, your life and what's going on around you, that was a huge thing for me, I think. And the more I look back on it, the more I realize how important that was, relaxing and being able to receive this. Because I'm, I'm quite sure that if I hadn't had those two margaritas over mm -hmm. that four hours time, I would have been a lot more uptight and probably the experience wouldn't have happened. Now that's not to encourage people, <clears throat> excuse me, I got a frog in my throat hand this morning. That's not to encourage people to that, hey, you know, if you go to Cabo and drink tequila at Sammy's bar, you're going to have an out of body experience that's <laughs> going to change your life because that was my path. But I think if we just, we need to lighten up and we need to start enjoying our lives and and not trying to be so perfect for everybody else and and start looking at ourselves for the answers and trusting ourselves to that, that we already know what what it is we need and i think that's where it starts yeah i think that's i think that's really well put because in many cases we have a really uptight society and we are yeah. more we are more uptight in in the US of A than a whole lot of other countries. We yeah. we we tend to take things a little too seriously, and we tend to focus a little too much on things that are not conducive to a healthy lifestyle. Now we've quickly reached the end. Uh, you, if if you like to um, t tell people about your website, I know you have a new book that you're working on. But yes. if you'd like to just tell people how to find out more about you, where your book can be purchased, that sort of thing, go right ahead. Okay. Um, my website is baharockpat.net, and that's B-A-J-A-R-O-C-K-P-A-T dot net. And you can purchase autographed and personalized copies of my book there. I also have... Um, a lot of I have a blog there and a lot of information about um, excerpts from my book and music from my book and um, topics that I talk about all the time. Uh, my book can also be purchased from Amazon.com or your favorite bookstore. You can order it from your favorite bookstore. Um, and my next book I'm is I'm working on that at the moment. Actually, several of them, so I've been pretty busy. <laughs> but <laughs> well, that's well, that's good. You know, you sort of break it down. You sort of get past the first barrier, and it and it's it doesn't get any easier. But at least you know you can do it. So, right. So it's so right. set for that. And so thank you very much, uh, Pat. This has been, I hope, a enlightening conversation we've had here, and uh, it it shows to me that each of us does have their own way to connect with the divine, connect with the spirit, or connect with something bigger than ourselves. 
and I want us I want to uh, sort of add something here about this whole thing about personal enlightenment what what I have found is that and I'm gonna put this uh, into this language that I don't I think you could only get so high by yourself mm-hmm. Pat I think that when you do reach the stage you realize that uh, it helps to have friends family compatriots other people on the journey and so I think that hopefully where this leads is that we sort of raise each other up to a higher stage of consciousness awareness understanding using the big word love but to me I think that's one of the lessons that that comes out of this whole thing for me mm-hmm. is that you, you can't really do it all yourself um, and so with those words I <clears throat> I'm going to um, leave you all. Thank you very much for listening, Pat. It's been great talking to you. And again, uh, Pat's book, Dance of the Electric Hummingbird, it's really a good read, and it's a it's a very fine introduction uh, to one person's path to enlightenment. This is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, hosted by Philip Camella. To find out more about Philip and his book, The Collapse of Materialism, visit thecollapseofmaterialism.com.